0: and word of wisdom, by demonstrating the superior power and knowledge of the Father. Praise God. And so, in the Old Testament, they cried out, we don't see our signs. Now, the New Testament church was born with supernatural signs. At the birth of the church, immediately, they spoke in tongues. And immediately following that, signs and wonders perked right back up again. They kicked right back up. Jesus had gone. The day of Pentecost comes, they get filled with the Holy Ghost, and all of a sudden, Jesus is back. He's operating in Peter. He's operating in the apostles. But the the amazing thing is he's not just operating in the 11 apostles. He's operating through Philip the Evangelist. He's operating through men and women, common people everywhere. When Jesus left, he warned them. He said, this is going to happen when the Holy Ghost comes don't think this is some kind of a political hierarchy and only those sitting at the top, the apostles, are going to have that power, that special gifting. The Bible tells me that Jesus said, whoever believes in me Hallelujah. Amen. will speak with new tongues, be able to take up serpents. and they, I'm not suggesting you go out and grab snakes, but if you do, you can shake them off like Paul did. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you've received, freely give. So the New Testament church was born with supernatural signs of God's presence flowing out of it. The book of Acts itself is a chronicle of the acts of God through his church members as signs that their message was coming from him. Did you catch what I just said? The book of Acts is a chronicle of God's acts through you and I. And the message through those signs and wonders is they're getting their stuff from heaven. God is flowing. This is God. God is flowing through them. They didn't get this in a university. This isn't a degree. This isn't a theological degree. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing wrong with a theological degree. But it only goes so far. God is limitless, and He has given a limitless source of witnessing power to the church. It's a crime that we've ignored it while we exalt education. It's great to be educated, it's great to have knowledge. But the scripture, Paul says, knowledge puffs up, love edifies. You say, see, there, love edifies. You know what? Jesus loved the blind man and opened his eyes. Jesus loved the lame and he healed them. Glory to God. Our signs flow from within us. They don't just declare that we are the house of God, they declare that God's in the house. So um, we are to be living signs of what God is doing, not reminders of what he used to do. Most churches are simply reminders of what God used to do. They just, it's retreads. Every week it's preaching about Jesus did this and Jesus did that and and the apostles did this and the apostles, but nobody around here's been doing it for as far back as I can remember. He did not call us to be witnesses of what God used to do. He said, you shall be witnesses of me witnesses of me. Our signs are signs of what God is doing, not reminders of what he used to do. Am I getting anybody's interest this morning? Hallelujah. So when we don't see our signs, we ought to be crying out to God for refilling and renewing our desire how often do you and I, and I don't say this with any condemnation, I am stirring us up today. That's my job. The Lord told me you're a stir stick. You take your, your glass of protein powder and you you don't just put the protein powder in the glass and then the water and just drink it. You have to stir it up first, or you're not going to get anything. And so my job today is to stir you up. So I'm not criticizing, I'm not condemning. I hope I'm stirring up, praise the Lord, something in you. And what I believe God wants to stir up is your desire. Desire for the gifts of the Spirit. Desire to be filled with the Spirit. Don't allow yourself to live one day saying, I really don't need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I really don't need to pursue being filled with the Spirit. I've got the Spirit of God in me, and that's good enough. Don't let yourself go one day. When you get like that, that's something to repent about. That's something to ask God to forgive you for, neglecting the gift that he put in your life. Paul wrote to Timothy, don't neglect the gift. Stir it up. Glory to God. So when we, when we notice that we don't see our signs, what should we do? We should gather together as a church, cry out to God and say, Lord, refill us. Set us back on fire again. He's more than willing to do it. He poured out His Spirit. He hasn't withdrawn His Spirit. So that means God's interested in you being filled and continuously filled and refilled. Everyone say refilled. Refilled. Ephesians 5, 18 and 19 says, Be not drunk with wine in which is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms. You know what psalms are? Singing the psalms. Um, Hymns, that's songs you write about God. And spiritual songs. What's a spiritual song? It's not one of those old gospel numbers. No, that's not a spiritual. That's a hymn. Psalms singing psalms, hymns, psalms written about God. What's a spiritual song? It's singing in the Spirit. It's singing in tongues. What else do you think it is? Do you think it's a hymn that's just a little better than the rest of them? No. Spiritual songs are songs that the Holy Spirit is singing through you as you are singing. Glory to God. So be filled, Paul writes, be filled with the Spirit Speaking to one another in psalms, in spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. See, that's the kind of church God's looking for. That's, that's the kind of church Jesus wants to come to and wants to be a part of. Notice that Paul said, be filled with the Spirit. He didn't say, receive the Spirit. He said, be filled with the Spirit. These were people that already received the Spirit, If you're born again, you've received the Spirit. That's how you got saved. The Holy Spirit entered into you. That's how you became born again. You've got the Holy Spirit. We're not talking about getting the Holy Spirit. We're talking about getting the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Why is the baptism in the Holy Spirit different from receiving the Holy Spirit? It's the same Holy Spirit. Is that not right? Right? Of course it is. It's going from the experience of receiving the Holy Spirit to being filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. I can just about empty this bottle, but it's altogether different when I put it under the spigot and fill it and it just starts overflowing. It's now, an overfl- it's now a baptized bottle. Amen. That's right. As opposed to a bottle that's, I, I've got, you know, I can drink it down to one gulp, one gulp left. And there are a lot of one-gulp Christians filling churches today. They're down to one-gulp. I've got the Spirit. He's down down there, down in there. See him? But Paul said, be filled. He didn't say, get the Holy Ghost. He said, be filled with the Holy Ghost. Do Do you understand the difference, what we're talking about? So Paul didn't say, receive the Spirit. He said, be filled with the Spirit. So God's not talking about possession. He's talking about volume. All this stuff in the New Testament about the Holy Spirit is all about mass. It's all about volume. It's all about being compacted to overflowing. It's not about getting. When you're saved, you've got the Holy Spirit. God says that's not enough. I want you overflowing with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. So, by the way, being filled and continuously filled That was a way of life for the early church. That was a mandate that the early Christians did not neglect. But being filled with the Spirit is a mandate to the church that very few churches actually practice. And I'm going to include us in that. We don't really make a priority of being filled with the Spirit. We make more of a priority of having church services than we do of getting filled with the Spirit. You say, well, Pastor, that's your fault. All right, I'll take that. I'll take that. Yeah, I agree with it, but I'm not alone because I'm not the whole church. You're part of the church. I can't be responsible for your hunger. I can't be responsible for your thirst. I can't be responsible for your drinking. I cannot be responsible for your filling. If you don't want to be filled, guess what? You're not going to get filled by just sitting there. No matter how awesome, you could leave and say, oh, that service today. Jesus, hallelujah. It was wonderful. The music was great. The preaching was great. Oh, I just felt goosebumps all over myself. It was just absolutely wonderful. But that doesn't necessarily mean you got filled. And, and you can prove it because it drains off. You're not even out of the parking lot. And you're on your way to the restaurant. Nope, nothing wrong with going to the restaurant, but it's worn right off. It's like rain it hits, a, hits a road in the summertime. It just, just evaporates. We live in Florida. We know exactly what that looks like. So being filled was a mandate that the, Holy, that, that, that the early church lived by, but it's a mandate that churches today, I mean, just ignore. It's gone by the wayside. They don't see it as a mandate. At best, it's an option. But in Acts chapter 4, after Acts chapter 2, when they received the Spirit, it says they got together, they were praying, they were getting together praying all the time. And they had gone through some persecution, and so they got back together after John and Peter were released from being persecuted by the religious leaders, and they they had a prayer meeting. They got together and they called on God, listen to what happened when they got together and prayed. And when they had all prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, wait a minute. I thought they were just filled in chapter 2. This is chapter 4. They got filled. We We ticked off that box. Are you listening? We checked that box. These guys were already all filled with the Holy Ghost. Did God make a mistake? No. God is not interested in you getting the Holy Spirit. He's interested in you staying filled with the Holy Spirit. There it is. They were all filled again. I think every single time we gather, God wants to fill us with the Holy Spirit. How about that? Is that your goal? That should be our goal. Praise the Lord. So the baptism in the Holy Spirit isn't about obtaining God consciousness. It's about getting God accessibility. The baptism in the Holy Spirit brings accessibility to the power of God. Filling meant receiving power you become so filled that you are now powerful the power of God is in you and you know when you get full of the Holy Spirit you're not walking around in the power of pride because you have you have focused on Jesus you're just Jesus conscious and you're looking around and the love of God in you is looking for an opportunity somewhere to let some of that power out on somebody who needs it you see Glory to God. If you want to talk about Christians making love a priority, and I don't know why preachers do this, but they get up all the time and it's almost as though they're offering you what's in the right hand or what's in the left. You can either have the love of God, make that your priority, or you can have the gifts and pursue gifts. Nonsense! The Bible never taught you you choose one or the other. Paul said, I'm going to the gifts, you should desire the gifts of the Spirit, but I'm going to show you a better way. Better way to what? Better way to desire the gifts. Because when the Holy Spirit fills you, He fills you with the love of God. And the demonstration of God's love is the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. Glory. So filling meant receiving power. The filling of the Holy Spirit, when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, it messes with your head. It changes and rearranges how you look at the world. It changes how you think. When you get filled with the Holy Spirit, it gives you. It it, uh, how can I say it? It installs in you a revelation. That would be the best way. It when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, it puts you on a different hill. You see things from a different perspective. And what happens is it gives you a new level of intuitive faith. Because when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit and you are full of the Holy Spirit, you are permeated with the reality that the acts of God are in you. That's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit does. It it takes all those things that you read about and it puts them in you and you know that they're in you. Anybody interested in that? Anybody feel like, you know what I got to say, but I want to see the things of God. I want to know that the things of God are in me. That happened to Peter. Now, Peter had been broken and weeping. I denied Jesus. He was all repentant. He knew he was a carnal mess. And yet there he was a couple of days later, walking into the temple, saw a lame man begging for alms, and he said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Peter, what? He knew what he had. What changed? Baptism in the Holy Spirit. See, baptism in the Holy Spirit changed the way you think. It puts you in a different perspective. You have a whole different frame of mind. You're not just thinking with your brain. The Holy Ghost is thinking in you. The faith of God is thinking in you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Am I preaching all right, Kathy? So far, okay? All right. Good. (laughs) Praise God. Um, So, all right. I've I've kind of made that point. Don't want to beat it into the ground. Let's go on, move on. Let's talk about tongues and the gifts of the Spirit. Get down to the the manifestation of the Spirit. First of all, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, Paul writes, Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. King James says, I don't want you to be ignorant. So concerning spiritual gifts, you should not be uninformed. Every Christian should know about and understand the gifts of the Spirit. Most Christians can't even name them. They can't even tell you how many there are. There's nine. The gift of tongues, interpretation of tongues, gift of prophecy, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discerning of spirits, gifts of healings, working of miracles, gift of faith. There's nine of them. They are grouped by nature, subnaturally grouped, uh, um, naturally grouped into three subgroups the information or revelation gifts, word of knowledge, word of wisdom discerning of spirits these are the three gifts that reveal supernaturally show something to you then there is the utterance gifts tongues interpretation gift of prophecy three gifts of the holy spirit whereby the holy spirit operating in you you are supernaturally empowered to utter and speak as god's mouthpiece the words of god the last three are the power or the impartation gifts gift of faith working of miracles gifts of healings nine gifts of the Spirit. You say, how do you know these things? Because I did what Paul said. I studied about the gifts. I studied them. It's They're there for anybody who wants. You can know this stuff. You can learn it. How many, what would you guess? I mean, you don't have to shout it out or anything unless you just absolutely have to. But how many, what percentage of Christians in the whole of believing born-again Christians, from the Catholic to all the Protestant denominations, independent, put them all together. How many people that are born again actually know about the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Know at least just the few things I just told you. What would you say, percentage-wise? Let me just take a guess. 7%, 12%, 23%, even if it's 30 something percent, I think 30 is being way too generous. I'm telling you, it is a low, probably single-digit number, and yet the baptism in the Holy Spirit is Jesus' signature on the church. Our pastors and teachers have been robbing us. They're majoring in the minors. I'm not saying that the things that that preachers preach and pastors teach are not important. They are important. They're wonderful. I listen to them on the radio. I get blessed. I encourage, I'm encouraged when I hear my brothers and sisters preaching, teaching the word. It's good stuff. But what is conspicuously, conspicuously absent to me is nobody's up there telling their members, the, their audience, about being baptized in the Holy Spirit and what it is and why it's important. And and in detail talking about the gifts of the Spirit. They are happy to leave their congregations ignorant, just ignorant. If they don't know about it, they're not going to be bugging me about it. Why would preachers do that? Why would pastors keep their churches ignorant of the gifts of the Spirit? Because you let the ox out of the stall, and he's going to mess the house up. He's going to stomp around. Things get out of control. You know, you don't mind having a little shih tzu for a pet. You don't want an ox in your house. Proverbs 14.4 says, Where there is no ox, the stall is clean. But if you want to plow the hard ground of the world today, you better get the ox of the baptism in the Holy Spirit and hook up some plow of obedience and go out there and move in the Holy Ghost because you're not going to break that ground up if you don't submit to the power of God. You're just going to get a couple of, you know, little hanging plants. That's what the church does. We cultivate hanging plants. We go get special soil. We go get a little special planter. We put our little seeds in there. We grow our Christians. Now, I know that there are churches and ministers out there that are literally harvesting like a combine. They're getting people saved. Praise God, thank God for it. It's awesome. But when I see the church by and large, the lack of impact and effect, when I look at us, lack of impact and effect, where do I source that lack from? Lack of interest, lack of desire, lack of dedication to the filling of the Holy Spirit. That's Jesus' signature to the church. If you're happy to have a good church service, that's all you're going to have. Hanging pots. Hanging plants. Wait till somebody gets baptized in the Holy Ghost and says, I'm going out there where the hard ground is. I'm going out there where the weeds are. I'm going out there where the poison ivy is. And guess what? I'm going to go out there and I'm going to prophesy to the unsaved. I'm going to lay hands on and flow in miracles I'm going to cast out devils. I'm going to demonstrate the power of Jesus Christ to those that, or at least those that come through your door on Sunday. They come, they go. They never get impacted by the power of the Holy Spirit. I had never been in a church that preached Jesus Christ before I got saved. Didn't know who Jesus was. I was a complete heathen atheist. Got saved at home from being an atheist, got saved at home in my bed one night. First church gathering was actually in somebody's house. It wasn't in an official church building. Uh, don't know what that really is, but, you know, wasn't in one of those. It was in somebody's house. So I'm gathering with believers. Guess what? The first thing they said to me said, you believe? I said, yeah, I've, I've received Jesus. I, he came into my life. I, I believe him. Man, praise God. I'm like one of you guys. And they said, well, not yet. You need the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I said, what's that? And they started telling me the stuff I'm talking to you about. I said, wow, that's amazing. Of course, you could have told me anything. I had never even cracked the Bible open. So there they were, man. They just laying hands on people and praying over me and and, uh, uh, people that were there. It was just a tremendous thing. But introduced to the power of the Holy Spirit. I think, what, what would have happened if I'd have got... Pulled into a church, no Holy Ghost, no baptism in the Holy Spirit, just introduced. This is Christianity. You just you're just going to now become a churchgoer. You're just going to go to church. You know, and you're going to put a here's your bumper sticker. And praise God, witness for Jesus, you know. So <laughs> so at any rate, let, let me move on, could bring this to a close. We're talking about the, the manifestation of the Spirit. So Every Christian should know about the gifts of the Spirit. Chapter 12, verse 1. Concerning spiritual gifts, don't be ignorant. Verse 7, six verses later, listen to what he says. Paul's got their attention, so he just lays it all out. He says, to each one of you, the manifestation or the exhibition of the Holy Spirit has been given to you to benefit everybody. Whew. Wow. Wow. So I'm not only supposed to know about the baptism, I'm supposed to have the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in my life. So I'm going to say to you, I'm going to turn it around, say it to you. To each one of you, if Jesus lives in you, the Holy Spirit has put gifts in you. Do you know what they are? Do you want to know what they are? Do you want God to use you? Now, it can be scary. You can think, do I have to be like that nutty so-and-so on television that I see? You don't have to be like anybody but yourself. Just be yourself. These gifts are wonderfully adaptable. God just molds and adapts them to you. You don't have to behave like anybody. Just follow Jesus. Let the gifts flow through you. But every Christian should manifest the gifts of the Holy Spirit. At the end of the Gospel of Mark. I think I already shared this verse where Jesus said, These signs. Now, I'm specifically saying that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are the signs of the church. We see not our signs, the signs need to be brought back. These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues. And it goes on and on. Now, the baptism in the Holy Spirit and speaking with other tongues was the first manifestation, the first manifestation that Jesus was going to continue his ministry through his followers. So they knew that he had risen from the dead, right? But they didn't know what was about to come. They didn't know what the arrangement was. What was God's arrangement with the followers of Jesus? They would find out very quickly that his arrangement with the followers of Jesus was that he wanted to continue to be Jesus through them, which means the works that he did, he wanted to do them through us. So when the day of Pentecost came and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, first thing that happened is God had them speaking in other tongues. I think there's a reason for that. Tongues is probably the most controversial of all the gifts because the other eight gifts, you can kind of understand them. Wisdom, knowledge, healing. You know, we all need to know those things. But I got a perfectly good language. It's English or yours might be Spanish or whatever it is. What do I need tongues for, especially if I don't understand what I'm saying? Well, because before you got saved, you were just a carnal person. You communicated with your carnal mind. That's how you talk to people. But now you are a multidimensional being. You are living here on earth in your body, but you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Come on, have you, have you ever heard that? You're seated with Christ, you're multi-dimensional being. So you are seated with God in the spirit. You hear what's going on up there? Are you a part of what's going on up there? Do you know that the Holy Spirit wants to pray through you? Do you know that He wants to give you the opportunity to commune with Him, to commune with Jesus, to commune with the Father? Hallelujah. And be able to do it without the the typical restriction of vocabulary and limited language. And so, of course, the devil fights praying in other tongues. He just uses human reason to do it. It's stupid. What does that do? It's... Right. Or at the very best, they can't deny that it's in the Bible because there it is consuming lots of ink in the New Testament. So they'll just say, well, it was only for a while. You know, we, whenever you don't want to do something, you just relegate it to the past. Put it in the rearview mirror. That's what they used to do. That's right. But God never said that these things that were the manifestation of the Spirit had a time limit, an expiration date on them. In fact, people love to bring up in that chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, they call it the love chapter, you know, love, hopes, believes, all things. They love to go to that, that phrase and they'll cite that. It's the only phrase in the Bible that even remotely suggests that maybe tongues were only supposed to occur maybe for the first century or while the apostles were getting the gospel established, you establish the gospel in one generation, they're going to pull it up by the roots in the next. Every generation pulls up the roots of the previous generation, the gospel of the previous generation. You've got to reach every generation. You've got to break up the ground, sow the seed. That church has got to be reborn with every generation. God don't have no grandchildren. Children. So with a fresh generation, they need a fresh Pentecost. They need a fresh outpouring. Amen. Come on, church. Amen. Hallelujah. And so they love to go to that one in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That says, when it's talking about perfect love, and they say, well, when that which is perfect is come, the perfect love of God, when, it's, when that which is perfect is come, that which is partial, which is in part, we know in part, we, we speak in part. We, we think in part. That which is in part will be done away. And it says right in there, Paul writes, the one who writes all about praying in other tongues, the one who said, I speak in tongues more than all of you, he said, tongues will cease. Knowledge will pass away. When he says knowledge will pass away, doesn't mean everyone's brain goes numb. It means you won't have to learn anymore. There'll be no more pursuing of Knowledge. So speaking in tongues will cease. Learning of knowledge, pass away. I believe that. And I believe when that which is perfect comes, tongues will cease. Knowledge will pass away. Guess what? I watch television, so I know knowledge hasn't passed away yet. (laughs) I know there's some people that still need to learn a couple things. Are you listening to me? So it's not time for knowledge to pass away. So if knowledge hasn't passed away, I guarantee it, tongues hasn't ceased. That's right. That which is perfect, he's coming, but he's not here yet. That's right. yeah. <laughs> I said he's coming, but he's not here yet. Until he's here, we need tongues. We need the gifts of the Spirit. We need to learn. We need knowledge. So... What is the purpose of praying in tongues, praying in the Spirit? Why did God give that gift? Well, first of all, the precedent is three times throughout the book of Acts when groups of people got saved. In chapter 2, chapter 10, and chapter 19, all three times they, they prayed in the Holy Ghost. They spoke in tongues. They praised God in tongues when the Holy Ghost fell upon them. At Cornelius' house, the Roman centurion, his family, and all his servants when they got saved, immediately they were baptized in the Holy Spirit began to pray in other tongues. Peter said, it said, we have heard them pray in tongues like us, so who can forbid water? Amen. Let's welcome them into the church. And they baptized them right then and there. What? Why did he baptize them? They heard them pray in tongues. One of the greatest reasons and why the gift of praying in other tongues is different from the other gifts is it's the one gift That is primarily, not totally, but primarily its first purpose is for you who have that gift. All the other gifts really flow mostly for ministry to others. But tongues is to build you up. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians 14 and 4, he that speaks in an unknown tongue edifies or builds himself up. That sounds important to me. In in Jude which only has one little chapter. But in verse 20 and 21 of that one little chapter, Jude writes, But you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in the love of God. Let me tell you what. If you practice praying in tongues, praying in the Spirit, your devotional life with the Lord, it'll be hard not to walk in love. If you don't believe me, try it out. That's all I'll say. If you don't believe me, just try it out. Ask the Lord to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Step out. Let Him give you that prayer language. And once it gets to you, it doesn't take it away. You can pray in tugs anytime. Why? You say, well, God, the Holy Spirit have to come upon you? He hasn't left you. That's right, amen. He's there. Stir Him up. That's right. Pray in the Spirit. Stir Him up. Build yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Spirit. So it's the freedom to pray beyond your vocabulary. And I I know I'm kind of running out of time, but we're going to pray here in a moment. But let me just say this. Romans chapter 8, you're familiar where it says, the Spirit helps our weaknesses when we don't know how to pray as we ought, but with groanings too deep to be uttered. Well, a groaning too deep to be uttered means you can't put words to it. But he's not saying, so don't pray. He's saying, you're going to pray, but with... Words too deep for utterance. What's that? That's praying in tongues. Praying in the Spirit. And then he says right after it, and God who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, I will pray with the Spirit, or pray in tongues, and I will pray with the understanding also. So God's formula for building up your life as a believer is that you should be praying in the Spirit and praying in English back and forth. And He builds your mind up, builds you you up, and builds builds up in you an understanding of the things of God. And the Scripture says that when you're praying in the Spirit, the Father knows what the Holy Spirit is saying through you. So your prayer life when you pray in tongues is a lot deeper than you think it is. It's a lot better than you think it is. Praise the Lord. All right. Let me close with this thought, and then I'm going to invite you to pray and stir up those gifts. And if need be, receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit if you haven't already. In Ephesians 5, 18 and 19, I just want to pull out that one phrase, read it to you again. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, here it is, but be filled with the Spirit, now listen, speaking to one another. Speaking to one another. That means these things should be public. People have said, I've heard it for years, oh, you should never pray in tongues so that no one can hear you. That's not what Paul said. He never said that. He said, don't try to talk to people in tongues. Read it, 1 Corinthians 14, exactly what he says. Don't get up and address the church in tongues unless it is a prophetic utterance, in which case there will be an interpretation. Someone will have an interpretation. They'll stand up and give the interpretation. See? Then people will understand what's being said. So he's saying, otherwise, unless there's an interpretation, don't get up and start speaking in tongues at the congregation you guys will go what kind of nutty stuff is this right be hard to get people saved if that's what we were doing wouldn't it i know you would have a hard time with me and so paul said "Ah, don't do that the corinthians were kind of going going ape with it so he was just giving them some guidelines so when paul gave that instruction he ended up saying this this was the wisdom he said speak to yourself and to god he didn't say, don't speak. He said, speak to yourself and to God. You know when we're worshiping God, we're singing and blessed are worshiping God. The person next to you, could, you could hear them singing in tongues. When everybody's worshiping God, you could hear somebody praying in tongues. They're not talking to you. Are they talking to you? Talk- Do you even think they're talking? no. I have never had anybody come up to me. Well, maybe I have. It's been quite a few years. I was going to say, I've never had anyone come up to me, look at me, and start talking to me in tongues. Um, you know, it's, it's not a common occurrence. But I've been around a lot of people praising and worshiping God. It doesn't, doesn't offend me. It doesn't bother me. I don't need to know what they're saying. I know that what's going on is we're all worshiping God together. We're praising Him. We're worshiping A healthy church will praise Him with the understanding, and they'll praise Him in tongues. Praise God. Sometimes you don't know what to say with your mind till you pray in the Spirit a little bit. When I need to have a session with God, sometimes I just have to pray in the Spirit, pray in tongues. Then after a while, things start congealing in my mind. I know what God wants said, and He starts speaking to me. So I want to wrap this up with one thought. The baptism in the Holy Spirit should be the platform for our fellowship. He says, speaking to one another. We should be communing with one another through the gifts of the Spirit. That should be the highest form. That should be the platform of the fellowship of the church. So, the combination of being in one accord and being filled with the Spirit is God's formula for the body of Christ. It's the condition through which he operates. Hallelujah. That's the condition through which Jesus operates. Being in one accord and getting filled with the Spirit. Let's make that our goal every single Sunday. Come together. Pray. Say, what are we praying for? Well, we've got five items here. That's great. Pray those five items. Well, Every time we get together to pray, what should be the one thing, you don't have to put it on the list, should be number one, get filled with the Spirit. When we come up here in the beginning of the service, I listen to the way people pray. And I know by listening to the way people pray that I can tell sometimes their their objective is not getting filled with the Spirit. When you want to be filled with the Spirit, the Bible says you're crying out to God. You're saying, Lord, I'm hungry. Lord, I'm thirsty. Send the Holy Ghost. Fill me, Lord, with your spirit. Jesus said, if you cry out to the Father, he's not going to give you a snake for bread. He's going to give you the Holy Spirit. I want you to stand with me this morning. So this is what I'd like us to do. If you can't stand, then you can... We've got some chairs in the front, but I'd like everyone... Just to kind of come around the front area. Just kind of come right around the front area. And if you want to sit in some of these.